0: your workers are members of the union, you can't just say, I'm going to fight with you. These are the people who are doing the work for you. So how can we care for them? How can we make, make partnership with the trade unions so that we can create a marketplace for what we're trying to
1: sell? Welcome back everyone to episode 94 of the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you today's guest and my friend, Sue Dyer. I first met Sue when we attended a mastermind in Puerto Rico back in February, and I was absolutely blown away both by her business and by the mission that she has really committed her career to. See, Sue has been a leader in the construction industry for over 30 years, an industry that is known for being rife with conflict amongst different stakeholders working on 8, 9, even 10-figure value projects. But through her company org metrics and supported by her incredible podcast construction dream team, Sue is pursuing her life's work to change the culture of construction from combative to collaborative. She's also the founder of two 501c3 nonprofits and has served as the executive director for 10 different construction trade associations. In this interview, Sue and I dive deep into how to find opportunity in conflict and how to really deal with conflict effectively within a team. So extrapolating Sue's mission and the work that she does beyond construction, you're going to hear lessons in today's interview that are applicable to any team, regardless of the industry or vertical that you are working in. I know you're going to get so much value from this episode, but before we dive in, I want want to make sure that you are following me on Instagram. That's the best place to stay on top of what's going on with the show. Find out who my guests are each week and to connect with me personally. So if you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a DM on Instagram and let me know. I would absolutely love to hear from you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sue Dyer. Sue, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Well thank you, Dorothy. I'm so excited to be here and it's so great to see you again. Yes, I just absolutely love you know going to masterminds, I think the best thing that comes of it is you get to make friends in so many different industries who are doing such incredible things. And so you know you and I really connected at that event and it's just so much fun to be able to do stuff like this now. It's true. Masterminds are
0: so important. I really believe completely that there is a collective wisdom. In a group, and especially a team that's focused, and when everyone's committed to
1: helping you, really enormously transforming things happen, I couldn't agree more well, so Sue, let's jump into your story. If you could set the stage for us, you know what was life like for you growing up, and what were the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you as a child? You know,
0: I grew up in a middle class family, and My parents were probably polar opposites. My father had really suffered a lot as a child through depression. He had polio from the time he was five till he was 11. And then his mother was killed. And so he was on his own from the time he was 14. My mother grew up in a household where my grandfather owned a business, and my grandmother was a developer, and they owned all the houses on the street, and they fed all the kids during the Depression on and all the families in the entire neighborhood. So they're really opposite in their feel for money. Uh, so I grew up with sort of both sides, and I started had my first job when I was 14. I worked in a dry cleaners. I continued to work there and saved money all the way from the time I was 14 until I was 18. I graduated from high school early and started college when I was 17. And I continued to work and I saved enough money to buy a house when I was 20. Wow. And I got married when I was 18. So I, I was just, like my father always said, I was an old soul. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I guess... Money is one of those things that for me, I know I can create it and I know I can control it. Some people don't have that feeling. So whatever my parents did gave me that. I was able to create kind of the life I wanted based on the money that I thought I needed at
1: the time. So tell me the story of how you got into the construction industry.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I uh, was uh, uh, just a newly single mom and I had always liked construction. My grandfather on my father's side was a developer and my grandmother on my mother's side was a developer. So I kind of had that in my blood. So when the opportunity came to be an executive director of a construction trade association here in California, I said, yes, yes. I took on this uh, association, which at the time was really near bankruptcy, which is why they allowed a woman uh, to do it. Uh And uh, within three months, I had them in the black. That gave me the opportunity to really begin to change the culture. But I'll have to tell you, I was a young person, 28 years old, the new executive director, at the very first meeting they ever held. And there was a fist bite in the men's bathroom after the dinner. And it was then when I thought, oh, my goodness, I need to do something here to help prove to them that you don't have to compete with each other to win. You can, in fact, win more by working together. And that sort of has set me on my mission that I'm still on today. So, for the Trade Association, we did a lot of things where we worked together. We created committees, and that took a lot of talking, I'm telling you, to get people to work together and teach them and show them there's a collective wisdom here, and together we can do things that people really thought were just impossible. For example, we had a committee for, we called it the Public Works Committee, And there was specifications. So every construction project has a spec, which is essentially the contract and how we're supposed to work together. And I asked the committee, what is the, what is the agency out there or the owner that you work with that has the worst, most onerous, most unfair spec there is anywhere? And they, it didn't take them very long to say, oh, it's this certain water district. Oh, there's a sex. I've gone to court numerous times. I've tried to sue them. I've tried, they've tried to sue me. I've lost every single time. This has been going on for 20 years. And I said, okay, let's look at that spec. Let's read it. And what's a fair and justifiable way to rewrite this so that it's fair to them and it's fair to you? So we spent a couple months working on it and creating this spec. Then I wrote a letter to the general manager of the water district and invited him and his team to come have lunch with us. And I I said, we worked on this. We thought it was, it's really not fair. So we thought this might be a better approach for you. And I included that in the letter. So we all get together, we're going to this lunch together with my committee and we're going to meet there and we sit down to lunch and the general manager goes, we got your letter, we're really excited to to have lunch with you and oh, by the way, we agree with you, it is unfair and we've decided to change the spec. Wow. No one ever asked before.
1: No kidding.
0: No one ever asked and they never did it when it wasn't around a specific project where there was a dispute. And then he said, I know, by the way, we would like you to review all of our specs.
1: No kidding. After so much frustration and, and struggle, you know, that was all it took was you know, actually approaching them with a solution.
0: Exactly. That's fair. We, were, we wanted to be fair to everyone, fair to them, fair to everyone involved. That's just one thing. There was hundreds of things like that. We did the same thing with the trade unions. We negotiated. I was the head of the collective bargaining unit, negotiated with all the construction crafts. And you're interdependent. Your workers are members of the union. You can't just say, I'm going to fight with you. These are the people who are doing the work for you. So how can we care for them? How can we make make partnership with the trade unions so that we can Create a marketplace for what we're trying to sell. We were able to do really phenomenal things. And this is at a time when many states were getting rid of all their trade unions. We made a partnership with them, and they worked with us. We improved training. We improved the way that we worked together. We looked at the marketplace and adjusted wages to the marketplace. We did all kinds of things together working in partnership, and that still exists today. And I have a along for a long time so but it didn't happen everywhere like in southern california here it didn't happen and that the, the trades kind of waned so that this kind of my whole partnership approach has been the theme throughout the whole thing so that's how i got into construction and then after that i decided well it worked here can it work somewhere else so i took on some other trade associations that i ran and grew them and that worked and i said okay it works when i'm the executive director. What happens when I'm a consultant? So I started my business and worked on projects, worked on organizations, worked with states, worked with federal governments, and I said, okay, we figured out how to work, but how can I make it so it's predictable so that a project comes in on time and on budget? What does that take? So I spent, I spent 30 years working on over... Um, we've worked on almost 4,000 projects to come up with a tried-and-true methodology, a really a framework for so that we can have predictable success on projects. And now we have that.
1: And so how do you achieve that? I mean, my understanding is is that it's really all about getting all of these different stakeholders, these members of the team to to really work together and collaborate. So what does that look like in the context of what you're doing for these projects as a consultant?
0: Yeah. So what it looks like for us is we like to first engage the the C-suite. Of everyone involved, of the the main main components. So you got the owner, contractor, designer. The owner is the most important because they have the dough, and they're the ones who decide what's going to happen, and they're also the ones who decide. What might change, or what's going to happen if they're going to pay anything? And they're the ones who have the need for the project, so the owner has more power. So you have a power imbalance built in, which creates a lot of conflict just by itself. So our process is trying to get everyone to come together so that we're one team, and we really manage that power imbalance so that dialogue can occur and we can communicate and coordinate. And so that's the first thing we do is create an executive team, typically, and together they really make a commitment to. It doesn't take very long to get kind of get them committed to. What does it take to be successful? They know it takes good communication, coordination, and collaboration. And if you don't have that, it's a lose lose for everyone. So once they're committed to that, they say, "Okay, these are the norms we want. Let's embed them." So we have a process where we bring together everyone, all the stakeholders. We come together every month on large complex projects, sometimes more often, and they co-create what success is by creating goals. And we have we always have a goal for quality, for completion, for uh, for budget, and then anything that might be specific to that particular project and what they're trying to achieve. So they co-create these and commit to these. And then we have a scorecard that measures every single month how well are we doing at following through with what we said we were going to do. And they score between one and five. And then uh, we put all that together each month and send a report out to the team. And we also have an algorithm that takes all those scores and calculates a momentum score. So they know whether or not they have a, mo- a positive momentum or negative momentum and where it is so they can take action before it's damaged the project. So coming together and realigning. So I years ago, I, I was part owner in an engineering firm and we went into power plants These would have a fossil fuel or some kind of fuel that powered the the plant, and then we would put instrumentation all the way through the plant, and then we would tell them we had this proprietary uh, process uh, that we would run to model the plant, and we could tell them, okay, change out these pipes, add a new valve here, run the turbine at this speed, and for the same amount of fuel, they could generate 10 to 15% more electricity. The same exact thing is true within your organizations and projects. Depending on what goes into them and what happens within the system, you can generate more. So, What we try to do is get alignment, everyone in alignment towards these common goals, these common principles, and working together in these norms together as one team. One of the things that kills any large organization or projects is complexity. You figure if you have two people talking, that's two lines of communication. If you have 16, you have 220 lines of communication. Complexity kills us. So, we're working to melt away complexity by keeping alignment. And we get alignment and focus. And it's like having a nozzle on a hose. You've got water running through the hose, but as soon as you take that nose nozzle and you tighten it down and you tighten it to a narrow stream, what happens? You get huge force and momentum and power same amount of resources. So every month we come back together and realign and re- readjust our nozzle because over time chaos happens, the nozzle just naturally gets wider. So we're always making that nozzle tight, tighten it down, tighten it down so that we're getting momentum. So that's, that's really the process.
1: Well I think one of the most important parts of you know the way that you are are doing this so successfully is exactly what you mentioned on the fact that they are co-creating these standards because I think you know there's a very different experience that comes out of it when you know a leader just dictates, you know, this is this is what we're gonna do and, and this is how it works and this is what it looks like, versus when people are given the opportunity to participate in that process, then they buy into it at a far different level than when it's just dictated to them. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. I always tell everyone people don't argue with what they help to create. So if they aren't a part of the creation of it, they will likely never buy into the level that you actually need them to in order to create a culture of everyone working together. Now, otherwise, they are just, they're just uh, adhering to something as opposed
1: to owning it. Right. Well, so continuing to extrapolate your work beyond construction, I mean, how should entrepreneurs approach conflict within their team? Well, my approach is
0: non-adversarial years ago, I had the opportunity to work with some Aikido masters. And I don't know if you're aware of the Aikido as a martial arts, but it's it's so fascinating because it's so congruent with my philosophy. So in Aikido, when someone attacks you, you, there is no offensive moves, only defensive moves. And so you use the energy of that person's attack to actually gently and without ever harming them to neutralize it and show them a different way. That's really what my approach has been is no matter what someone does, no matter what happens, I will not engage and become an adversary because as soon as I do that, my brain is now working on how to get even or how to do something against you. And what I need my brain to be working on is understanding what am I hearing you're telling me and what are you saying you need so that I can help give you that. If I help you give you that, and I can also work to figure out how I can get what I want. And remember, with labor and with teams, we are interdependent, Inter. Tendency means you can't have a win-lose. <laughs> it's a lose-lose or win-win. So I'm always trying to not get into that adversarial. So I always envision myself as a matador. When someone comes charging at me, I just step aside and let the, them run past. <laughs> right. And then, and then when they're tired, which they will get tired eventually, then I say, okay, let's see if we can talk about this. And then they'll then they're where they're worn out, so they'll talk.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean that's I think, my think. <laughs> I love that. Just let them get the energy out. Um well so when you have a a team and i think that this can happen especially in startups when you know typically with entrepreneurs you're dealing with big personalities you know real like idea people communication can become a big problem and i think once you have an environment where you know the communication has become toxic it can be really hard to to turn that around so you know how can we communicate better to avoid these conflicts within our teams
0: well, a couple things. One is that I see a lot of conflicts within organizations because they're so inwardly focused. And really in your business, it's got to be outwardly focused because the market is going to dictate what you need to do to be successful. But too often we end up looking at internally. And what I find a lot of times we can just get people looking outside, the conflict tends to melt away. A lot of the conflict happens because. I always say there's this old saying in the in the Midwest, a two-headed cow doesn't know which way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got a two-headed cow in your business. I I I think I'm right. No, I think I'm right. And no, you're a two-headed cow. The market will tell you what is right. So let's look outward. So that can that can marry the conflicts pretty easily. The other thing I see is that sometimes we have just personality conflicts. And uh, a lot of them around pacing. I see a lot of pacing ones, like people that are fast-paced, fast thinkers, fast talkers, fast doers, and then the slow-paced, introverted people who want to go slow, think about it, have a plan. So you do get conflict over there, but people need to realize that is glorious conflict because it is allowing those two things to coexist that allows your business to be successful. You want people who are driving hard out there and you want other people who are saying, wait a minute, let's make sure that we this is financially feasible. You need those. And it is the intersection of those that actually makes it successful. So conflict isn't bad. It's how you approach it and what its effect is and whether you can keep it constructive. Is what you really want to try to do. It's it, a lot of people don't like it, but it is what allows us, pushes us forward to do more and do better. Don't judge it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so elaborate on that a little bit. Like, where is the opportunity in conflict?
0: Oh, there's so much opportunity in conflict. If you don't judge it as being bad, all of a sudden you realize that conflict may push you to somewhere that. Opens an opportunity that you never would have seen before, and you never would have been open to before. That you would see, oh my goodness, who knew that this was even possible? But you have to be open to not judging that it's bad or heart or hurtful. Uh, you can transform co- any conflict into an opportunity. I really believe that's true, but it's how you approach it. To, again, stay non-adversarial don't engage don't feel that emotional pull towards it be an observer observe it isn't that interesting care about those people I always say love the people love them what what's in their heart what are they really telling me we need I remember years ago being in a strike you know in in my career I've been shot at I've had my phone tapped I have threatened. I've had to leave town. So I'm talking about conflict. Wow. But I remember being in a strike situation. And so there were picketers everywhere and we were negotiating. We'd been negotiating for a long time. But when we're negotiating, one of the um, plumbers was with the plumbers years ago. And the unions are kind of loosely uh, connected. So each each of the union locals had negotiated as a group, but the group had no power. So one of the one of the locals wanted a huge raise, like seven dollars and seventy-five cents an hour. All the other locals had already accepted $2.25. So they're all going, you can't give him that, you know. So, so we're taking a strike. So so where there's a strike and there's all this stuff going on. But you know, over time, listening to what he's telling me he needs, what he really needed was to save face. He needed to save face. So eventually what we did is we took the contracts and we wrote into it exactly what he wanted. And then we wrote another paragraph that took it away. That way he could go back to his people and say, and then, oh, oh, not only that, then we said, okay, what he really needs is to keep his people working and to get more people. So then we created this special category of people that was even at a lower rate so he could get more people into his local and that would be a win-win for everyone. And so he became the hero. He became the hero not only to his own people, but to all of the plumbers because he had he had created this next level of thing that never could have happened if we weren't working at listening and trying to give him what it is he needed.
1: And he, of course he didn't tell us he needed to save face, but of course he needed to. I mean I think so often it's about figuring out you know what is the real core of this issue and you I actually stumbled across an article that you wrote that was giving tips for dealing with project conflict and one that stuck out to me was you said remember it's always personal could you expand on that Oh it always
0: is So whenever there's a conflict, like we, we one of the nonprofits that I helped to co-found is does mediation in the courts. And so we've been doing this for 24 years and we've done over 9,000 cases. So when the first thing we teach our mediators is whatever the conflict is about, not really what it's about. (laughs) It's always about somehow it got personal. Someone's feelings got hurt. You know, their, their ego was bruised or it, it, it made them feel badly about themselves. It's always about that. Uh, people, Otherwise, there wouldn't be conflict. And so, that's why you've got to be kind to the people, hard on issues, kind to people, because people are just being who they are and they aren't necessarily wrong. Uh, too often, people want to try to make people wrong the truth is is that they're probably right and they are right from their perspective but we aren't even willing to listen to them enough to understand their perspective because we think we're so right so righteousness does not exactly help you really understand someone it prevents you it keeps you separated and disconnected and basically, unhappy. So, you've got to honor people even when they are in conflict. So, it, the issues that have become personal, you know, that's when your blood pressure goes up and you kind of feel that, like, ah, no, this isn't right. It's personal. It's become personal. I'm taking it personally. You're, it's, this is, people will say it's just business. No, come on. It's people. (laughs) There's nobody else in the room but me. You're who you're talking to. You're talking about me. Yeah. So okay, I got it. You don't like me. Well, okay, that's okay.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I hope that everyone listening who is a leader of any sort of team that you're taking notes because you know this is this is something that it doesn't matter what your industry is, what your business does, you know, any time that you do have people different personalities working together there's inevitably going to be conflict and it's how you deal with that conflict how you approach it and whether or not you take the opportunity to find a positive outcome for everyone that's going to you know really determine whether or not you're able to move forward together towards your shared goal so you know Sue unfortunately we are running out of time so any final Tips around dealing with conflict, around dealing with different personalities that you would like to share with our listeners?
0: I think my only advice would be to make sure that you don't judge conflict, at least not too quickly, because it is our own judgments that impair our ability to see what might be possible. And remembering every conflict, there is a hidden possibility that you wouldn't have otherwise had every one of them.
1: I absolutely love that. Well, Sue, thank you, first of all, for everything that you have shared with us today. Now, I want to change gears a little bit because as you know, here on the show, we have what I call the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. Could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why it's so meaningful to you? Yes, and I'm going to nominate the
0: International Partnering Institute. It is a 501c3 nonprofit. I am the founder, full disclosure, but this is an organization that is dedicated to creating partnerships and culture change for construction, but it's moving beyond that. So, uh, really, uh, we need to have... Look at the world, guys. We need to have more people who understand or are or, or having the intention to make our world more collaborative. We are closer. We have more communication. And because of it, we have more conflict. But we also have more opportunity. And we need people to stay in that zone of collaboration and not jump over into combat. I can't believe how fast we jump to that sometimes.
1: The world is not safer because of it. And it is not a happy place. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, we will link to your organization in the show notes. And lastly, Sue, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your business, and to stay in touch with everything you're doing?
0: Well, I am on LinkedIn, Sue Dyer, uh, at LinkedIn. And also you can uh, listen to the podcast and you can probably learn quite a bit. And that would be at constructiondreamteam.com.
1: And for everyone listening, even if you are not involved in the construction industry, there are so many lessons that you can take from everything that Sue is talking about on the Construction Dream Team podcast uh, that you can really you know, extrapolate to fit you know, in your own organization. So as soon as you're done listening to this episode, head over and find the Construction Dream Team podcast. Sue, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Dorothy. So good to see you. All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising Agencies' profits, too. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So, if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to backslash facebook where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there so head over again to do well and Co backslash facebook and I'll see you on the inside it means the world to me to earn your time so thank you so much for listening.